sí. Okay, like sometimes I say things that are not in my notes. You know, I've got the notes from the children's dedication, and I did not have written in there, dirty, rotten little sinners. So if you were offended, it means you don't have any little kids. <laughs> Sometimes truth is hard. Okay, everybody comfortable? Feeling good? And we are going to take a little survey this morning, which requires audience participation. Okay, so now that you're comfortable, everybody stand up. Survey, everybody stand up. Come on, come on. I know, you are already about ready to go to sleep. Come on, everybody up. Maybe I should do this about four or five times a sermon. This would be good. Audience participation. You, please remain standing if you have more than one set of dishes at home. Everyone else be seated. More than one set of dishes at home. Everyone else be seated. By the way, ladies, you may need to tell your husbands paper plates don't count. All right? All right? Okay, good. All right? Remain standing if one of those sets of dishes is reserved for special occasions. Everyone else be seated. Reserved for special occasions. Everyone else be seated. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that got a lot of you. All right? Remain standing if you have special silverware that you primarily use only on those special occasions. Everyone else be seated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, good. Remain standing if you have special glass or stemware that you primarily use for those special occasions. Everyone else be seated. Oh, yeah, it's embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> All right, now, finally, remain standing if on those special occasions you use... What are you standing for, Andy? You're supposed to. Actually, it's true. We do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Just wanted to get him. Okay, uh, remains thing up on those occasions, you also have linens, like a linen tablecloth or linen napkins that you use only on those special occasions. Okay, all right. All right, all right. everybody else go ahead and sit down. You go ahead and be seated. You need to, everyone else, you need to take notes. Who to borrow from? Could we... Could we summarize by saying that some dishes and utensils we use for, e for everyday kind of common purposes and others we use for, some of us at least, use for special, more honorable purposes? Now, let, me ask it, let me ask it this way. If Jesus were to dine at your house this evening, he were going to come over for dinner, which dishes would you use? <laughs> Don't sit there and piously say, well, he dines at my house every night. <laughs> or, or he's family, you know, so we would just use the everyday plates. Liars. Um, you would scurry around all day to make sure that everything was just right. You'd be calling the people who were still standing a moment ago to borrow their stuff. Because you would think that Jesus would deserve the very best. And you would be right. Indulge me just a moment longer in this little analogy. If you were one of these dishes or utensils, which one would you rather be? The fine china reserved for special occasions or chinette? Again, don't sit there and say, I'm just a humble sinner saved by grace. I'd just as soon be a paper plate or a tippy cup. Use me and throw me out. If we were honest, we would all want to be used by our owners for the most special, most honorable, and most important occasions. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul uses exactly this analogy. He likens Christians to domestic vessels or articles within a household. 
You see, every member in the household uh, of God, in the church, every member in the church is a vessel. And God, as the owner of the household, actually wants to use you. And He wants to use vessels of gold. I don't typically title my sermons. That's the title this morning, Vessels of Gold. See, that's what He wants to use. So if you said, yeah, that's what I want, you're in good company. Let me remind you of the very important context of 2 Timothy as we get started. Paul is in prison awaiting certain death, martyrdom, severe persecution from the emperor, the Nero, the Neronian persecutions had broken out against the church. That is opposition from without. Christians are suffering for their faith. They are suffering for Christ and his, and his gospel. But, but not only was there opposition from without, there was also false teaching from within, opposition from within. Uh, we remember Paul left Timothy to, to deal with false teachers in, in Ephesus and and when he wrote 1 Timothy, he tells us that, and now he's writing 2 Timothy, and apparently they are still a problem. I'm not going to review all of the guesses as to the topics of their teaching, but we know, what we do know for sure is that they were really into this kind of subjective, extra-biblical speculation, and, and they loved to argue about their particular positions. And, and the result then was, was ungodliness. They were fighting over things that did not matter, which led to, well, it led to fighting about things that did matter. These false teachers were no longer handling the word of, of truth accurately. They were no longer cutting it straight into orthodoxy. They were, they were venturing into heresy. For, for example, a couple of the ringleaders were actually denying the resurrection. That is, they, they suggested that the resurrection was already uh, past which means they were likely denying any future bodily resurrection. This took hope right out of the gospel. And they were, well, they were destroying the faith of some. You see, both attacks, those from without and from within, were, were putting the gospel at risk. But persecution was causing some to be ashamed, even, even fearful, and some were even deserting the gospel. So Paul says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel message. And don't be ashamed of me, the gospel messenger. In fact, here's what I want you to know. Here's some fine print. If you decide to become a follower of Christ, I want you to join with me in suffering for the gospel. It's going to cost you to name the name of Jesus. And those attacks from within... They were also putting the gospel at risk because they were denying the very essential truths of the gospel. They were changing the method, uh, the message. And so, so Paul says, Timothy, I need you to, to pass the message you heard from me to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The gospel must be preserved and it must be protected and it must be passed on at all costs. No matter, no matter what attacks may come from within or from without. Pass it on. My brothers and sisters, we are going to see attacks against our gospel come in ever-increasing measure. We've got to pass it on. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2. By the way, I said a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't here last week. Michael preached a message in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he knocked it out of the park. I don't always say this, but listen, if you did, were not here last week, you need to go listen to, to last Sunday. 
July 19th. You need to go listen to that, man. It was incredible. I encourage you to listen to it. But two weeks ago, we were in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19, where Paul encouraged Timothy and, frankly, us to strive to be workmen approved by God, rightly handling the word of truth, cutting it straight, committed to truth, committed to orthodoxy. And Paul gave us some things to avoid in order to receive God's stamp of approval. He avoid things like worldly and empty chatter, godless nonsense. And don't get sidetracked by things that, that don't matter, which leads to further ungodliness. And again, before you know it, we're, well, we're denying orthodox truths of the Christian faith, like the resurrection. You remember the word approved carries with it the idea of being tested for the purpose of approval. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to test you and to and put a stamp of approval on you. Same word that he, gold or silversmith uh, used to, to test materials, determine purity, and, and refine it as necessary. So also we are tested and, as necessary, refined by God to make us vessels of gold and silver of the highest purity. And, and much like we would break out our finest china and silverware if Jesus were to visit tonight, should we not also provide for him the best possible vessels in us? Should we not strive to be indeed vessels of gold? You, you see, Paul is going to continue with the analogy of the church being a, a house built on this foundation of truth. Verse 19, we'll come back in a second in our, in our text today. Look at it with me. 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 to the end of the chapter say this. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of, of wood and of earthenware. I'm going to say clay, that's what it means, and, and, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I, I, that's what I want to be. And so flee from youthful lusts and Pursue righteousness and faith and love and, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse. He says it again, foolish and ignorant. That word means stupid, speculations, knowing that they just produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but, but he must be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition read this this week, I knew this verse, and I'm reading and studying this week, and I'm going, Scott, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. In this, in this particular context, Paul is writing to, to Timothy to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church, and he's, but, but it certainly has application to all Christian leaders, all Christian teachers. We must seek to be vessels of gold fit for the master's use. But I'm going to broaden it, the application this morning, for all of us who call Christ our master. If we are in the house and Christ is our master, here's the goal. Vessels of gold, which means we should... Flee youthful desires. We'll see what that means in just a moment. And, 
pursue these qualities that he lays out for us here. The outline is going to go like this. We're going to see the making and the, the, the maintenance and the ministry of an, of an honorable vessel. Now again, Paul introduced this, this metaphor of the church as a structure or a great house back in verse 19 when he spoke of God's firm foundation. He's actually kind of going off on that now. He, he was fond of this analogy in his first letter to Timothy. He called the church the household of God. In some of his other letters, he talked about the, the house being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And then in verse 19, a couple of weeks ago, he said the foundation is sealed with a couple of seals. In the midst of, of all of this tr trouble, persecution from without and and, and false teaching within, it's okay. God, it's the foundation's sealed. He knows those who are His. And they prove it by departing from, turning away from wickedness. What does this turning away from wickedness look like? Well, that's what He's going to talk about in verses 20 to 26. And He furthers the analogy. Changes His focus from the foundation to talk about vessels in the house. Look at first at the quality of the vessels in verse 20. He tells us within the house, again, this is the church he's talking about, there are articles of gold and silver and wood and clay. Think fine china or styrofoam. Actually, the contrast is, well, truthfully, the, the contrast is much worse than that, a little bit stronger. The, the gold and silver vessels were used for honorable purposes, like, you know, eating on them. The wood and clay vessels... Well, he says these are used for dishonorable purposes. Like what? Well, like carrying out the trash or, frankly, excrement. In fact, these cheap vessels were often discarded with the garbage. They were cheap. They were meaningless. Now, this is somewhat of a problem passage because we're talking about the church. And the very significant question is, what are these vessels of honor and dishonor? Two basic, let me just boil it all down, two basic interpretations. First, the vessels, regardless of their quality, their, their makeup, they're all Christians, right? Supporters of this view point out, well, they're all instruments in the house. Uh, can non-Christians be in the church? Well, I don't know. Look around. In, 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 in this church called Alliance Bible Fellowship, do we have believers and unbelievers? I hope so. I, I hope so. So they suggest, proponents of this view, since all are Christians, some are useful articles of gold and silver. Some are, well, they're not quite as useful and, and, and made of, of wood and, and clay. Timothy is then encouraged to be the former, be a vessel of gold. that You might be of the highest value. Now, it seems to me if all are Christians, we've got a couple of problems with that uh, particular view. First, it would seem at very least that Paul is supporting it, kind of a two-class system of Christians, some for honorable purposes and some for dishonorable um, purposes, all right? Two classes, the really good Christians and the not-so-good Christians. Secondly, it would seem at worst to support an idea of a carnal Christianity. That is, some can be Christians, they're just not, you know, well, you know who they are, they're just not very useful to the master. The implication is that in addition to being useful, carnal Christians, which by the way is foreign to the scripture, aren't quite as holy and not quite as prepared for every good work. Not true. Third problem is the choice of words that Paul uses here. The only other place where these two words, honor and dishonor, are used together to describe classes of people is in Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9 is a text I happen to love, not everybody does, but in Romans chapter 9 uh, we read these words, or does not the 
potter have the right over the clay, talking about God, uh, to make from the same lump one vessel, there's the word, for honorable, there's the word, use, and another for common, that's actually dishonorable use. Can he not do that? He sure can. And what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, these ones that were dishonorable? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. If you're not familiar with that particular text, let me assure you, there can be no doubt that Paul had has in mind here Christians and non-Christians, which leads to the second view, which is the one that I hold. Most, most actually believe that Paul is talking about believers and unbelievers. Vessels of gold and silver would be Christians, while those of wood and clay are non-Christians. In this particular context, not only non-Christians, false teachers. See, Paul has just expressed a concern that many have their faith ruined by being involved in, in quarreling about worldly and empty stuff, godless nonsense. He cites the example in the church of Hymenaeus and Philetus who had wandered from the faith and were, were, uh, were engaged in false teaching. It seems, um, it seems the point is this. In the visible church, there are true teachers and there are also false teachers. You don't think that's true? Turn on TBN. You want to be approved by God? You want to be a vessel of gold? Then be diligent to correctly handle the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, quarreling about nonsensical words, quibbling about things that do not matter, and pursue some other things, which we'll look at in a moment. Can, can this actually be true? Well, we remember the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter 13. You remember the story. Then the master went out and he sowed wheat in his field, and then the enemy came at night and sowed tares. And when the seed sprouted, it became evident what had happened. And the worker said, should we go and tear out the tares? And he said, no, don't do that, because if you, up, you might also uproot some of the wheat. We'll wait till the harvest, and it will be made known who they are. The point is this. The point of the parable is that believers can exist with unbelievers in the house. And again, that is my hope. Because unbelievers, we're going to see in verses 24 to 26, need to be gently corrected so that they can be brought to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that what we want? This is one of the biggest questions that's being posed um, today in the world in which we live. You know, you know we have a church we have an evangelical church that's kind of going off the deep end. And, and what, what are we going to do when we have unbelievers coming to the church? I hope they do. I want them to hear the gospel. Having determined their composition, it then becomes a question of value. Those articles of gold or silver are more precious. They are more valuable, actually, than wood or clay. The valuable vessels represent believers who are faithful and therefore useful to the Lord. They are, you see, the good soldiers in the context of 2 Timothy 2, the good soldiers, the competitive athletes, the hardworking farmers, by contrast, the vessels of poor quality uh, used for dishonorable purposes are the, well, they're the cowardly soldiers, the lazy athletes, and the slothful farmers. They are the false teachers who quarrel about things that do not matter. They are good only for dishonorable purpose who will eventually be thrown out unless God grants them repentance. Notice verse 21, Paul tells Timothy to cleanse himself from these things, which literally means separate yourself from communion 
with these things, these, these why. Separate yourself, things is actually added. It's in the italics. What is these that he's supposed to separate himself from? Very clearly, closest antecedent, they're the vessels of dishonorable pur purposes. He is saying, have nothing to do with dishonorable vessels. Don't even entertain don't even entertain their false teaching. That's the idea. Don't get involved in their false teaching. Now, when it comes to the vessels themselves, of course, we want to share the gospel with them and see them repent. That God would perhaps grant them repentance. This is, this is the goal. But don't be involved in their false teaching. This is the context. Verse 14 and following. Don't involve yourselves with useless wrangling about words and worldly and empty chatter. He continues that context in verse 23. We read it a moment ago. Foolish and really stupid speculations that just produce quarrels. They just ruin those who listen. You cleanse yourself from them and their false teaching. Don't get involved in that. All this idle speculation that where there is no answer. If you cleanse yourself from these, the result is in verse 21, you will be a teacher by application, a believer who is sanctified, that word means holy, set apart, useful to Jesus, prepared for whatever work, whatever ministry that God has you to do, whatever ministry he prepared in advance for you to do. What greater commendation could we have than that, than to be in the master's house and be useful to him? Isn't that what you want? It's what I want. In order to be the fine vessel of gold or silver, there are some qualities that we need to pursue, which brings us to the second point, the, the, the maintenance of this honorable vessel. And, and he uses two ideas here. You need, on the one hand, you need to flee, and on the other hand, you need to pursue. The word flee is the one from which we get, it's very interesting, I did not know this, the one from which we get our word fugitive. In fact, one commentary I had suggested that we need to run like Harrison Ford and flee sin. What is it we flee? He says youthful lust. The word flee means to take flight, take every effort to get away from sin. We do not allow it to hang around. We don't allow it to be toyed with. We don't play with it because if we allow it in our presence too long, before you know it, we begin embracing it. Much like Joseph fled from the presence of Potiphar's wife and her seductive temptations, we are to flee the evil desires of youth. Now, when we read this verse the way that it is translated, we usually think, rightly, I think, of sexual temptations that are prevalent with youth, which I think probably is included in that. But, but literally translated, the verse reads, flee youthful desires. That's the word. Flee youthful passions. Ooh, what is that? Paul has in mind here, I think, in contradistinction to the false teachers, he has in mind here, Anything that easily traps young people, the sins of youth. What, what are those things? Well, uh, he's going to go on to tell us what to pursue. So maybe it's the opposite of what we are uh, to pursue. It, maybe as we look at these false teachers, we are reminded of this quarreling, ambitious, uh, harsh treatment. And I was doing some reading about this. This week, and one of my commentators pointed out that this list that, that Paul gives of virtues that we can look at to see what we're supposed to pursue, this list of, of virtues of righteousness, faith, love, and peace is one of several lists that he gives. So I thought, hey, let me go read and let me read about these other virtues, these other virtue lists that he provided. In fact, you'll be happy to know that I made a chart for you. 
seven virtue lists in Paul's 13 letters, which contain four or more lists of, of things that we are supposed to pursue, excluding the qualifications of, of elders. Ours is in the second to the last column, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But then I also added what he's going to talk about, what the teacher's supposed to be like, pay, kind, able to teach, patient, and, and, and gentle. Now, when you compare that particular list with, with, with all the other lists, that pattern begins to emerge. In fact, I took this same list and I put in bold those qualities in our text, in our text that appeared in the rest of the list. Here it is. And all of a sudden, again, it looks like as committed followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to be vessels of gold, if you want to be used by the master this morning, then we need to be pursuing righteousness and, and faith. It's in a lot of the lists. And love is in every single one of the lists. You can't be a vessel of gold if you are not loving. Kindness, peace, patience, gentleness, they're all, they're all over the place. They appear over and over again, and all of a sudden there is this description. I mean, it's such a look at that. In fact, let me make it a little bit easier for you. I kind of just put all of those together, sum them all up with this particular list, purity. This is what you're to pursue. Knowledge, patience, kindness, love, truth, righteousness, joy, peace, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, compassion, humility, forbearance, forgiving, thankfulness, speech, conduct, godliness, perseverance, teaching, purpose. The ones in the boulder, right there from our list. Let me just let you kind of dwell on that a minute and let me ask you a question. Does that describe you? I have to tell you this week, as I looked at these seven lists, I was deeply convicted. I went further. I thought I got a chart of virtues. I might as well create a a chart of vices of these false teachers just from First and Second Timothy. You'll be glad to know. Here it is. I know it's a little bit overwhelming, especially that last one in Second Timothy chapter 3, which we'll start uh, next week. I, I don't want to dwell on this too much other than to suggest that these are the opposite. Look at this list. Just glance at it. These are the opposite of the list of virtues. In fact, I'm going to suggest that they describe the, 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 the sinful, youthful desires and passions. Again, it goes well beyond sexual temptation. Look at the list, especially the second to the last, which forms our text. 2 Timothy 2, wrangling about words, wor worldly, wow, that just fell right off. Um, worldly and empty um, chatter, uh, ungodliness, heresy, foolish and ignorant speculations, quarrelsome. It, now, now, think about this, and I am not pegging adolescents and young people here. Remember young people, Timothy is probably in his mid-30s, just so you know. But does this not describe young people that we know today? Truth is, it describes me when I was younger. Truth is, it describes me all too often now. The point is, as we mature in Christ-likeness, as we, we are supposed to grow in virtues, and these vices should diminish. Paul is writing to a young Timothy and he says, do not be caught in the web of the false teachers. Flee youthful desires. 
which are perfectly illustrated in the false teachers. Instead, I want you to pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with everyone else who calls on the name of the Lord with pure hearts. Those four characteristics that Paul gives here, uh, righteousness, faith, uh, uh, love, and, and, and peace, speak primarily of our relationships with each other. Righteousness, dealing in justice and equity with each other. Uh, faith could be uh, pursue the faith that the false teachers are trying to destroy or it could be deal trust in a trustworthy way, faithfully with each other. Um, third, pursue love in every list. Agape love. Be self-sacrificing in your love for each other. And then last, pursue peace. Speaks of living in harmony with each other. Does that describe, does that describe you? And I, I want to remind us that all of these qualities, that all of them on that list, that list of virtues, are, are, are only made possible by the transforming work of Christ in our lives and the indwelling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, by direct interpretation, Paul is talking to Timothy as a teacher. He's talking to teachers. His point was that false teachers of his day clearly evidence youthful passions. You only have to look around to see these sinful qualities of youth evidenced in false teachers today. Their proud demeanors, their impudence. They are brash, rude, arrogant, stubborn, reckless, hard, and loud. And so he tells Timothy, pursue rather righteousness, faith, love, and peace in your dealings with people you are attempting to instruct, especially those people who oppose you. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, that let a man once become really holy, even though he has but the slenderest possible ability. you here this morning and you think you have the slenderest possible ability. Let him become really holy and he will be a fitter instrument in God's hand than the man of gigantic accomplishments who is not obedient to the divine will or clean and pure in the sight of the Lord God Almighty. God will use you in as much as you pursue Him. Brings us very quickly to our last point, verses 23 to 26, the ministry of the honorable vessel. Again, Paul points us back to these very foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing they're just going to produce quarrels. The idea is to be carried away with the novelties of these false teachers. They were given to controversies. Outside, all they wanted to do was to, to fight about points that did not matter, that could not be settled. And even if they could be settled, it made no difference. Don't get caught up in that nonsense. We talked enough about that a couple of weeks ago. We'll look instead at the teacher as a vessel of gold in verses 24 to 26. Instead of being pulled into foolish and ignorant speculations which just produce quarrels, the Lord's bondservant, the word is literally slave, reminds us, you see, we're in the master's house. He's the master. We're the, we're the slaves. Slave must not be quarrelsome. Don't be like them. Instead, he must be first kind to all. Kindness is easy enough to understand, but the idea is to be kind even to those who oppose you. Instead of being drawn into meaningless arguments, be kind. In other words, Christians should be people of, of peace. Does that describe you? Does it describe me? Second, and he is writing to teachers, you have to have the ability to teach. That is, who, 
the teacher must be able to know truth and be able to communicate it clearly and effectively, even when opposed. When false teachers are spreading their heresy all around, we need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and we must be able to share the truth of the gospel clearly. It is, truthfully, a bit shameful that so many Christians in our churches today are ignorant of a biblical doctrinal truth and wear it as a merit badge. No place for that. We should be able to clearly state our positions and biblically defend them in as much as they are biblical. Third, we need to be patient when wrong. The idea is when opposed, we, we can't be offended. I mean, we're patient. And no doubt when teachers oppose us, they will lack kindness. They will lack gentleness. We, however, should not. We should seek to be patient even when they oppose us vehemently, violently. And it's beginning to happen more and more in our culture. The way that this patience when wrong speaks, speaks of an inherent humility. Think about that. We remember who we were when we were rescued from the snare of the devil. It makes us, makes us humble, patient when wrong. We can put up with it. Fourth, we should seek to gently correct. Gently correct. Many of us need to hear this truth. The truth is I need to hear this truth. We think that false teaching and heresy give us the right to be unkind, impatient, and lack gentleness. This is not true. We should seek to be gentle. The word here speaks of, be, uh, of tender meekness and compassion. It speaks of being considerate and courteous. Why? Because through our loving, patient, kind, gentle witness, speaking truth in love, God may, he might, he might, he might just grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, we remember, we remember that they are not the enemy. They have rather been taken captive by the enemy. They've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. So our desire is to share gospel truth clearly, gently, to see them saved. We want those, those vessels of dishonor to join us and become vessels of honor. That's what we want. I can't let this slip. I need to point out to you that it is God who grants repentance. And we are reminded once again that salvation is all God's work. Even the ability to turn from sin comes from Him. He's the one who grants repentance because unbelievers uh, by nature are evil. But God changes their nature. He makes dead sinners come alive in Christ and grants them the ability to repent and confess Jesus as Lord. Please notice that. He causes them to be born again by which they can now repent and confess. This is our hope. This is our prayer in dealing with people who oppose us. You see, I, I, want, you, I want you to notice here, as God grants repentance, he gains them and Satan loses them. Look at this, the hole that Satan has. The text says they come to their senses. It means they return to soberness. They've been intoxicated by the devil and his evil schemes. Darkness had numbed their senses and paralyzed their wills. Paul says they were in the snare or they were in the trap of the devil. This is what it means to be a captive. We must always remember that unbelievers, even false teachers, are not the enemy. They are captives of the enemy. 
And so we gently instruct, allowing God to do his work in their lives to rescue them from Satan, the true enemy of their souls, much like he rescued us. I don't, I don't know about you. Let me just, by way of confession, uh, it is easy for me to fall back into these very sinful and youthful passions. And for that, I am truly sorry. Um, to become abrupt, harsh, that word has been used against me in my teaching on far too many occasions. Harsh, rude, arrogant. It's very easy for me to do that, even when wielding the truth. Um, the truth is, as I studied the passage this week, it is really more for me than it is for you. God is calling us, he is calling me to pursue these virtue, virtues and allow them to define us. Righteousness, peace, love, and faith. To, 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 uh, to, to allow the Spirit to fill us and to allow his fruit to, to define us. That's what I want. I don't want to become more and more cynical and more and more hard and harsh as I grow older. Let's stand together.